0: This is Mouth Media Network covering the business of lifestyle. Election night 2018 didn't really provide a story of a dramatic blue wave or tsunami or even really a massive splash of drama, but it was still a really big night for Democrats who took over control of the U.S. House of Representatives in Congress, marking the end of a Republican legislative agenda and the beginning of an era of accountability for President Trump. Democrats feared early on that a handful of Senate races foretold a night of gloom. Pretty much Amy McGrath losing in Kentucky, the mayor of Tallahassee, Andrew Gillum, underperforming his polls in Florida, and Senator Joe Donnelly losing a Senate race in Indiana really informed a vision of the evening that could have gone a different way. Republicans ultimately kept control of the Senate, but as election results kept coming in, things quickly turned around for Democrats in the main arena, the House, where they didn't smash expectations or shock the world with an electoral rock show, but they did win a lot of races and took control of the chamber, anointing Nancy Pelosi to be the speaker, most likely, yet again. Democrats also gained ground in key governor races and state legislatures throughout the country, ultimately implying that this is bigger than just Congress. These races are bigger than any one president or any one personality. Americans not only cared about races up and down the ticket, even smaller races for seats that you or I may have never heard of, but it also underscored that Americans were willing to show up. Midterm elections tend to be a little bit sleepy, but... This record-level turnout in districts across the country is an incredible feat, not just for our democratic process, but for the makeup and identity of several issues affecting Americans every day. Today, on American Enough, what do the elections actually mean for the issues that impact you or I? This is American Enough with your host, Vikram Iyer. First, let's start with immigration. A lot of concern has been dedicated to how the control, the Republican control of both the House, the Senate and the White House really offered their best chance to cut legal immigration and create this broader identity of us versus them. This otherization rhetoric that was ripe on the campaign trail, including with Donald Trump leading right up to the election day with overt fears and critiques of a migrant caravan of refugees seeking asylum and refuge from a tragic set of crime and circumstances in their home country, was front and center in his closing arguments when it came to the 2018 midterm elections. But this situation that they had for the last two years of having control of the House, Senate, and the White House may never really repeat itself because unified government is relatively uncommon and because public opinion has been trending against reducing immigration with the public now two to one against cuts on these very legal approaches to finding a new sense of opportunity within the United States. As importantly, the House, based off of Tuesday's night's results, is now perhaps the most pro-immigration that it's been since at least the 19th century. The last time that Democrats controlled the House, they couldn't even get a majority of the House to support a very restrictive version of the DREAM Act, the type of protections that were offered DACA protections for those DREAMers brought into this country at a very, very young age. This time, however... House Democrats are unified on providing a pathway to citizenship for DREAMers, the legalization of longtime illegal residents, and doubling legal immigration while permitting only moderate enforcement measures to be attached. So what we might see around the corner? Take a look for lots of investigative hearings on the processes by which the Department of Homeland Security has gone after families, separated children at the border— built entire encampments where children are still trapped and voices of their concern and longing for their parents still continue to wreck through immigration courts throughout the country. Also, keep an eye out for looking at how Congress tends to investigate ICE or the Immigration and Customs Enforcement arm of the Department of Homeland Security. ICE has been known to do sweeps around the country in instances of illegal immigration and ice enforcement raids actually occurred under president obama as well but the threshold for when ice is deployed and how gruesome and or cruel one might see their approach to ripping families apart has only really increased under the presidency of donald trump and Oddly enough, at the direction of Attorney General Jeff Sessions, the top law enforcement officer who just this week we found out was also forced to resign out of the Trump administration. All of that will maintain a very, very critical eye from a Democrat-controlled Congress, both in terms of understanding how the Trump administration used taxpayer dollars to advance an otherization attempt, and a more nativist attempt of immigration policy in this country, but also to quell any broader concerns that Americans might have every day, that simply because of where they come from or the color of their skin, that they are no longer fit or safe to lead their lives in this country. With Democrats now in control in the House, an early 2019 vote is expected on the DREAM Act or similar legislation to provide a path to citizenship for those DREAMers, but there's still no clear path to a comprehensive package of immigration policies or reforms with the Trump administration fixating on everything from cutting away advanced processing times for H1B visas to detention facilities to H4 visas for spouses of high skilled workers that come to this country. The appetite for having robust immigration policy couldn't be higher in this country. And yet, with a divided Congress, with Democrats in the House and a Senate majority of Republicans, that path seems just as challenging as it was, surprisingly, even when the Republicans had all three chambers, the House, the Senate, and the White House. Additionally, on immigration, it'd be important to monitor what goes on at the Department of Justice. Even though Attorney General Jeff Sessions was just let go and fired at the behest of President Trump not loving his dealings with the Robert Mueller, FBI, Russia, Witchgate, no collusion investigation, the fact remains that Jeff Sessions was considered one of the most effective cabinet members for the president that would enact his policy wishes when it came to immigration. Everything from enforcements at the border, creating the tragic and cruel family separation down there, and making sure that ICE had its resources, that DACA lawsuits that were pushed back upon by groups like the ACLU had their day in court, all at the behest of the AG and Mr. Jeff Sessions himself. So with a new interim appointment of an acting G- attorney general and the subsequent permanent appointment subject to Senate confirmation of a new attorney general, how the DOJ continues to push the concept of a country that is defined not by our immigrants and our diverse tapestry of who we are, but rather nativist, nationalist policies remains to be clarified on the heels of this election outcome. Separately, the very concept of cybersecurity and election integrity is top of mind for anyone that cast a ballot in this election. It's one thing to talk about whether or not President Trump colluded with the Russians. It's another thing to deny whole hog numerous intelligence agencies that verify that different rogue actors of disparate state entities have been and continue to meddle in our elections. Federal policymakers have continued to raise concerns about the integrity of the U.S. election system in this face of growing cyber threats and online misinformation and foreign interference. So, bipartisan legislation in Congress to increase funding to bolster the cyber defenses of state election programs have emerged during the current Congress, but they've been stalled. Democrats are expected to renew the push on this issue ahead of the 2020 presidential election. And so, with Democrats in the majority in the House, There'll be a lot more appetite for a deep dive look at how election meddling can take place and what the United States can do about it. Certainly, there has been a glimmer of bipartisan hope when President Trump in a press conference just this week and indicated that he would be very willing to work with Democrats when it came to rules around social media and rules around election interferences that might be in some way prompted on the backs of social media platforms. So perhaps the notion of looking at the integrity of how we elect our leaders in this republic will see some bipartisan line between the two. Moreover, and separately on some level altogether, another key issue that will be worth watching in our country is how Americans actually value their privacy countless times you or I have scrolled through the terms and services agreements for apps like Uber or getting groceries online through Postmates or even making sure that we were up to speed with the latest iTunes uh, terms and services when we download the greatest app. Usually this involves us flicking down and scrolling to the very end and clicking the box that we agree without really understanding how that data might be used. But Europe, took a huge stride a few years ago by passing what is known as the General Data Protection Regulation, or GDPR. The enactment of GDPR creates the ability for individual citizens in Europe to have their information opted out of altogether, so that way companies don't sell or or transport that personal data in different ways. And it even allows them to enshrine a right to be forgotten from Google searches on the internet. California recently enacted a privacy law The most sweeping in the United States to date. And now Congress is taking a look at how to create a national framework on the heels of both California's step and the GDPR in the EU. But the Trump administration's initial foray in developing its privacy framework is actually just beginning. The Department of Commerce has an agency known as NTIA, and under the direction of Secretary Wilbur Ross, that agency is taking a look right now at public feedback around how the united states should approach its cultural and regulatory attitude to data protection in an era in which consumers are giving their data away willy-nilly the inauguration of a new Democratic-facing House will undoubtedly create overtures of consumer protection and consumer privacy advocates that push and nudge members of Congress to take these situations and these scenarios seriously, where everything from a data breach one day to hacking of information the next can continuously and routinely compromise not just the personally identifiable information for you or I, but also the integrity of cyber systems protecting amazing and top-rated American brands. The incoming House Energy and Commerce Committee Chairman, Frank Pallone, a Democrat from New Jersey, has actually indicated that he wants to prioritize privacy. On the Senate side, the current Senate Commerce Committee Chairman, a gentleman named John Thune, a Republican from South Dakota, actually has to give up his chairmanship after this election and the new Congress coming in. But he'll hand his gavel over to a senator from Mississippi, also a Republican, named Roger Wicker. Regardless of who has their posts at the helm of each of these congressional committees, one thing remains clear. The new Congress is going in with a new mandate resoundingly to examine how privacy is protected, maintained, and nurtured as a policy and cultural principle within the United States. While this won't be easy to tackle and numerous technology companies, trade associations, and points of view will have to be reconciled in this debate, Take a look for Congress to play an active role in convening these conversations in parallel to the Trump's Commerce Department. Looking separately and aside from privacy issues, a huge issue that Congress is poised to engage in is infrastructure legislation. America loves its shovel-ready projects, the ability to put construction workers back to work, and the ability to breathe new life and new oxygen into our, our roads, tunnels, bridges, the actual guts of the American infrastructure and economy that allow us to transport goods and make sure that people are safe while they're doing it. Infrastructure legislation actually never got off the ground during the current Congress, and there have been mountain concerns about how much money we're spending as a country and growing deficits and national debt that Trump's tax package will undoubtedly induce. But for the next Congress, this does seem to be top of mind. We've already heard from Nancy Pelosi that, House Democrats will introduce an infrastructure package, and President Trump has long indicated his interest in passing one as well. So while the spirit of bipartisanship may be alive and kicking when it comes to infrastructure, or even when it comes to issues around privacy, it's a little bit of a different tune when it comes to trade. America has long focused on its role as a booming economy, but Because of different agreements that we've established throughout the world, President Trump has made it a campaign promise and an administration goal to continue to renegotiate various trade deals to make sure that, in his words, Americans are prioritized first. Because the U.S. trade representative on behalf of Trump has a close working relationship with groups like organized labors and worker advocacy groups and regularly consulted them throughout their negotiations, the final deal is expected to pass with bipartisan support. However, Democrats could use the leverage of their new majority status to seek some changes on the deals implementing legislation to toughen labor standards and the agreements enforceability. So all in all, when it comes to issues of privacy, when it comes to issues of trade, when it comes to issues of infrastructure, it looks like there may be broad alignment in terms of how this new Congress even chooses to simply work on issues alongside this administration. And for those that are looking to make sure that their farms are protected in this country, or that their roads and bridges are protected in this country, or even the way that they protect their identity in this country online, there's a lot to be desired and hopeful in terms of how the makeup of the new Congress impacts the identity of these issues in the United States. But when you reflect on key issues dividing us, things like immigration and the ruthless and thuggish approach that the administration has taken to go after children and families. If you think about issues that are germane to how the integrity of our republic has been skirted as a responsibility of this administration, but all too often been confounded with an FBI Robert Mueller Russia investigation alone, that is where we're going to see a lot of change in focus under this new Democratic caucus, specifically in an attempt to understand, analyze, and figure out how the administration is operating, why it's making the decisions that it is, and focusing on ways in which we can create an adequate constitutional check on the overt and apparent abuse of power that we hear from the Oval Office day in and day out. That being said, it is important to recognize the following. Regardless of where your politics are, having one chamber... Go to the Democrats, another chamber to the Republicans, any president whose politics and policies are in some respects unknown, but his temperament is very clear, creates the exact kind of tension that our founding fathers exhibited in their founding documents of this country. The awe aspect of having a debate, a spirited dialogue and a deliberative process in which there can be polls and tensions, not just on the policy, but the way that the presidency assumes its nature of power having that check and balance, some would argue, creates inertia and slows down a bureaucratic process of Washington. But having that check and balance is frankly who we are. If Democrats come in and they aren't fighting for the issues that you care about or taking the stances that you care about, at least you can know at the end of the day that having these disparate chambers, having the swing wave election in the, in the way that the midterms went down, consistent with prior patterns in American history, go to show. That the way that we reclaim our hope, our identity, your issues, is by turning out, it is by being heard, and it is by voting. Ultimately, the 2020 presidential dynamics will be a huge marker for how members of Congress, after this new election, actually engage on these issues. We can expect to see members of Congress pushing forward bills they know the president will never sign or will never pass, simply to start messaging their own attitudes and their own ideologies. That narrative of kicking up a conversation, even if that bill of legislation or policy or regulation doesn't go anywhere, is as core to our democratic process as voting itself. So you can look forward to discourse in America. It may not be easy again. It may still continue to not look civil anymore, but we can create anchors on where we want to be and bend that long arc of conversation and history, hopefully towards justice. Ultimately, though, No matter who makes up our members of Congress, we have to remember one very critical aspect of what it means to be an American. Just this morning, a gunman killed another 12 victims senselessly in Thousand Oaks, California. And our question as a nation is not just about who's in Congress or who won which offices by what margin and what does this horse race mean for 2020 ballots. That would be misguided. What this conversation really is about is how are we going to stand up for our fellow Americans who all too often get gunned down in churches, in bars, at concerts? How are we going to stand up for Americans that extend beyond the special interests of a limited few? Also today, Associate Justice of the Supreme Court, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, if in any circumstance her health continues to ail her and takes her out of commission from presiding on the high bench, Then that would create yet another Supreme Court opening for this presidency to appoint. Each of these issues, whether it's gun rights in America, whether it's the balance of the courts in America, whether it's immigration battles, privacy battles, trade battles, all of them are a commentary and a reflection of who we want to be as a people. Do we want to stand for a community that's inclusive, that's safe? that allows women to choose how they treat their bodies, that provides access to reproductive health, that creates equal protection under the law and doesn't seek to actively disenfranchise voters? Or do we want to choose a country that is reminiscent of a dog whistle to the quote-unquote good old days, where a certain few that seem a certain type of American enough continue to have their views advance in this country out of a fear or a concern of what it looks like to change? This podcast is not here to give you an answer or a prescription, but it does focus on one resounding theme that's resonant across all of these issues. If we are going to continue to stand up and be America, if we are going to focus on the needs and well being of others, then we have to start with the rhetoric that doesn't discount the views of an entire community or ideology of people. That cuts for Democrats, that cuts for Republicans. Civility, decency, and a makeup of understanding the identity we want to be, not just the identity that we are on a congressional map, will be the future of this country. This has been American Enough with Vikram Iyer. American Enough is a production of Mouth Media Network. Contact Vikram with your comments and questions at 844-4-Vikram and connect with the show on social media at American Enough. Theme music by Chris Thomas. Episodes available at AmericanEnoughPodcast.com and everywhere the best podcasts are found. To learn more about Mouth Media Network and how you can partner with this podcast, visit MouthMediaNetwork.com. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the hosts, callers, and guests, and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of Mouth Media Network. No portion of the show may be reproduced, published, or rebroadcast without the express written permission of the producers. Thank you for listening.